he used to give me take give me a ride in the cleave when he'd be going to the bog. That's how I first got to know him. He was a neighbour. As I grew older, uh, my mama, my mother used to send me to the Strand and his mother used to take me to his house and I got to know the family very well. I went to school with some members of the family and knew them at school. And then they were traditional musicians and I used to love to listen to them play the flute and see the younger ones dance. So whenever I was on the way home from the Strand, I visited their, his mother's home. Uh, many years passed and he grew up and he, his brother was in the flying column and the safe house was next door and I got to know his brother and I really thought he was lovely. I, I, I think I loved him as a little girl when I was around 10 years of age. And uh, then in later years, Tom and, and my brother Joe and a neighbour ran away to Scotland. And after a year there, Tom came back and to help his mother and take care of her. Take care of her. He teased me with his shoving on Scots accent or using that style they have for speaking in Scotland. He teased me with that. And I, I was mad at him and I was for a long time and I didn't like him. And I didn't like him either because he went and joined the army at the time that we were having a civil war and I wasn't for that side. So I, I didn't like him that much. But he was a member of a family whom I loved. And of course... After being in Scotland with my brother, I had to be to chat with him in order to learn all about my brother and many, many stories he told me about my brother. So I still loved, and that way we got to know each other. I met Brian on a Sunday afternoon in May 1977. I was actually going to the shops for the milk, the papers, biscuits, the usual Sunday afternoon treats. And this little guy said to me, can I carry your messages for you? And I said, oh, my God, here we go. When I returned back to the house, when I was, which I was sharing with three other girls, I said, you'd want to see the fellow I met today. He really was a joke. They thought, trust you, Marie. A couple of days later, I was standing at the bus stop, and the same fellow turned up and offered me a lift. And on the way in, we chatted about where we were from, who we knew, what we did, and meanwhile, he asked me out. So a week later, he turned up at the house in his little Triumph Spitfire, showing off with the roof down and the music blaring. And off we went to the country for a drink. We both have a keen interest in greyhounds, so we used to go to the greyhound track quite a bit, to Shelburne Park, Harles Cross. That's where I first met Brian's older brother, who's one of the funniest people I've ever met. And I, when I see him, I always associate him with the dogs. That was... a pretty regular event and of course we we went coursing which is very controversial now but at the time I didn't think much about it because it was my first experience going coursing but funny I only went twice I didn't really like it other than that we went to the pub quite often because Brian would meet me after work we'd have a drink first and some evenings depending on how our money was we might go out for our tea in fact the first night we went out we went to the Taj Mahal 
which is an Indian restaurant, and that was very romantic. It was red lights and soft music. That was our first night out. Uh, but th that that particular night, actually, I'd been out with a friend from work previous to that, and I wasn't really feeling that well. But I was on a good face because it was our first official date, and that's was when it all started, I suppose. That was one of the nights that I really thought this guy is really nice. Other than that, we went to the pub. We used to go to concerts. My husband is a great fan of Joe Dolan, so that was the first time I'd see Joe Dolan. It was a very entertaining night. Um, we went away for a couple of weekends to the country. We went to Donegal. We went to Sligo. We spent our first Christmas, actually, in Clonakilty, in a little hotel down there in the Strand, and that was really nice. It was cold and windy, but we had a good time. You know, Brian is not a romantic person, but then he makes up for it. For example, I love prawn cocktails. And one Sunday morning, the doorbell rang, and I opened the door and there was nobody there, but there was a prawn cocktail outside the door. And on a Sunday evening, he'd always come around to the house and we always had to watch the Sunday game. And uh, that's where I really got a keen interest in sport. I always like sport to look at. I, I'm not a great participant in sport, but I like to admire and look at it. But he really enlightened my interest for Gaelic hurling and football. So as a result of it now, we go to all the matches. And that was another thing we did. I'd never been to Crow Park until I met Brian. And we went to the All-Ireland Hurling Final. I can't remember who was playing. It was Kilkenny and Cork, I think. When I fall in love It will be forever I left home and came back for holidays. And he pulled up with his horse and cart and said, Mary, don't go back anymore. Stay home and marry me. Of course, <laughs> I thanked him for his offer, but I was honoured. But when I went back to England, I told my sister and my friend how I had an offer of marriage while I was home. Teasing, of course, never thinking seriously about it. And they said, well, you had right have stayed at home. You couldn't get a better man. And... You'll be lucky. You'll be lucky, girl, if you ever got the likes of him. And of course, um, I, but I don't intend to get married. I've no intention of marrying. And then the following year, I came home to take care of my mother. And I wasn't. I was. I was six months home. One time when I. I came home in September and Tom and I made a date in March and our first date, his poor mother got a stroke on that morning and died that night. Unfortunately, I thought maybe that he had told her that he was going to marry me or that he was going to date me and that she got such a shock that she got a stroke but it wasn't that, he hadn't even told her. But uh, I thought the neighbour was teasing that she had overheard that I was seen coming home with him. And I thought she was teasing me, but then she wouldn't tease about a thing like that. But his poor mother had died. So then he, he really needed a wife then. So he made a date with me again. And he he said, now, our next meeting, will you marry me? I said, I'll have to think about it. 
And he said, well, you'll have to know by the next time, we, in our next date. Because he said, if you don't, I'll have to sell and go to England. I, I can't make a living at home. I can't stay there on my own. And I said, well, I think over it. But I said, on our next date, he said, oh, I hope you have your answer. I, I think it's like, I hope you are... You had your answer, and don't say no. So I said no. No. I won't say no, Tom. No. No, Tom. I didn't see it coming because I didn't really like him enough to marry him at the time, so I was very surprised. It was a cold, wet night, and we were sitting outside my house at the time. So as at, the, at the time, I didn't say yes, but I thought about it, and about three months later, I said yes, I would. But it took me three months to decide because I wasn't very sure of him. But I liked him a lot. But when I met him first, there is no way I, I would have ever thought I'd married him. I was too old to have any doubts once I made up my mind well, that was it. I did ask a doctor if he thought that my health was good enough or that I well, that I wouldn't have any problems if I did get married. And uh, he, he said, no, he said. <laughs> and he said, I wish to goodness, he said, that I wasn't a married man and that I were young enough to marry you. You would make the best wife that I would know of. Is it you have my blessing too? The only worry I had was where I'd be able to have my breakfast. I knew I'd get married. I had arrangements with the priest. Tom and I had both made arrangements. And the priest was going away early, which made it very nice and comfortable. I didn't have long to think about it. Because the night before, I had to be preparing for the breakfast. And I had to be, for the last minute touches on the clothes I was going to wear, which were redone and which I knit myself. And I had my cousin and I was telling her about Mom and how what Mom would need and she was there to help and to take care of Mom and to help me. And so I had too much to think about. But I had one worry that I wasn't sure whether I'd have to go down to my cousin's with my breakfast stuff and prepare it down the They'd help me. They would help me up here and I'd have to go down and prepare down there. So that was the only worry, but everything went well when morning came. Well, I worked right up to the time I got married. In fact, I was working up to the day before I got married, and at that stage I had no dress. And there was a bus strike on at the time, and I was working in Monkstown. So I hitched a lift into Dunleary at lunchtime, and the guy who gave me a lift was very amused because he was actually going through the procedures of having a divorce in England. And he thought this was very amusing. He, th he said to me, it's like as if you're just getting a passport. So I said, well, it's a little more serious than that. I have to find a dress. So I didn't find a dress in Monkstown that particular afternoon. So I hopped over. There was a little shop in Monkstown which did second-hand clothes and modern clothes. So I went upstairs to the modern section and found a dress that was very suitable, a three-quarter length dress, silk, with a lace collar. And I had, I had some shoes and a bag, which were fine. So I went to the salon, of course, I worked in a salon at the time, beauty salon, and I had my legs waxed, manicure, had my hair done, and the morning of the wedding, I did my own makeup. 
when we went to the church, um, Tom wasn't there. And eventually came, right on time. But the priest then came along. So we got our confession, we got our nuptial mass, and we received Holy Communion. And at the mass, we had our best man, bridesmaid, the priest, the server, the driver, who was to drive us, and uh, Winnie and Rose, and uh, the other had stayed with Mother so she had the breakfast ready when we'd come out. And uh, I believe that'd be about all. I'd say at half past seven in the morning in a country place. That's about all, I think. But on the way out from the church, we had no such thing as confetti. Of course, we had no such thing as rice. They used to throw on the people and they'd be coming out in those days, but they had no rice either. I didn't. Well, at that hour of the morning, people aren't awake enough to be doing things like that. <laughs> on the way out, uh, Tommy, the driver, Tommy said to me, Congratulations, Mary. So, well, you might, Tommy. It's the first time in my life, and I'm going into my 38th birthday, that I've ever done something that pleased all concerned, all my friends, all my relatives, all my neighbours, and pleased myself at the same time. And he laughed and he said, well, well, that is true. That is true. So along came my bridesmaid and my best man. Oh, they were, of course, there. And they congratulated me too and congratulated Tom. And Tom and myself went to Elm and Elm. The atmosphere was lovely because it was, there were so few people there. It was really quiet. It was really still. And a friend of mine, who's a fabulous singer, she sang. She sang the Ave Maria. And she's, she used to be with the Rathmines Rathgar. So she was a fabulous voice coming through. And it really echoed right through the church because it was so small, or so, so big, and the crowd was so small. And my boss at the time said it was the first time since her own wedding that she'd actually heard the words of the ceremony. She actually listened to them because everybody was so intense and seemed to be really listening and enjoying the morning. It was in the morning we got married at about 12, 12.30 in Brutustown Church. I can't remember anything except saying I do. And Brian was joking and saying, this is a mistake. It, oh, say I do, but don't sign the actual certificate, marriage certificate. He said, that's the worst thing you can do. But that was just a joke at the time. And we didn't have a photographer. We didn't have a professional photographer. We just took our own photographs and picked the ones we liked from that. And my brother-in-law was best man because the best man didn't turn up. And after that, we returned to the pub, had a couple of drinks, returned to a friend's house for the reception, which was champagne and strawberries and a buffet, salad buffet. And we had photographs in the garden. It was a beautiful day, a beautiful May day. It wasn't very formal. It wasn't a very formal wedding, as as my friends would have had a big wedding in a hotel. It was very, very cool and easy. And there was about just about 40 people. And just one member of my family, my brother, he gave me away. And it was very different from all the other weddings in the family. As I said, Brian's from a large family that had all had enormous weddings. In fact, one of his sisters had a joint wedding with her other sister. And they had the usual hotel and band and all that kind of thing. So they thought it was lovely. In fact, my sister-in-law was the eldest of Brian's family. She thought it was the nicest wedding she'd ever been at. 
She thought it was lovely. For the wedding breakfast, Mum had ham, tomatoes, lettuce on a plate. And we had um, nice breakfast buns Mum had made. And pot oven ones. I haven't had them since, not out the pot oven. And um, what else? Good homemade butter. And uh, bread, butter, and we had loaf bread. Oh, and jelly and um, custard for dessert. Yes, indeed, I'd forgotten that. And I made that myself the night before, my cousin and I. We enjoyed it. And what I enjoyed most of all was that Mum was happy and that she was there. And she put a little purse... So when I opened the post of she had all the money she had left in the house, one pound seven and six, which was... And it was our start when we got married. Well, my friend's house was a beautiful house in um, Black Rock. And she had prepared everything. Champagne for everybody. Strawberries and fresh cream. A buffet salad, which was absolutely delicious. Fresh salmon salad. Brown bread. Just delicious in the most beautiful room looking out into, this, into her garden. And uh, it was a help yourself sort of buffet. And the atmosphere was fabulous. I mean, everyone was having a good time because the, there was plenty to drink and wine. It was just champagne and wine. There was no spirits or beers or anything like that. But we did get quite high. We did. One thing, uh, Tom asked me, did I mind he'd have to wear his old suit because he couldn't afford to get a new one? I said, not at all. You were always keen, Tom. And that's your Sunday going to mass one. It's going to be useful. Uh, it's going to be nice. And uh, I can't, the bamboos. But it's, I said, one thing I insist that you have, if you are to force to get someone to bleach a flower bag and make one for you, you'll have to have a white shirt. <laughs> and I said, when you get in the ring, you'll have to get a good, solid nine-carat one, not an 18-carat, not a 20-something carat, because my mother had a very, I think it was a 22 or something carat gold ring, and it melted away because she never took it off. And I said, I want one that won't melt, even though it hasn't as much time as Mum's had to melt. And uh, mine won't probably either, but I said, I, I won't. Uh, I want a good... I would like a good wedding ring. And that's all. That's all I asked for. But he, he dressed. Uh, the night before, between entertaining and having a little company, he and his sister were preparing the suit and getting the shirt pressed again and polishing the shoes and getting ready and they had spent a good deal of the night before in preparing and she preparing her, what she wore she had a lovely suit for the wedding that she got just before she came home to be bridesmaid and um, she was in that and I had a suit my sister sent from America it was a mauve more of a grey shade mauve bluey mauve not a pinky mauve, bluey mauve, and it was, I don't know what you'd call it, it was kind of a bluey mauve, and my mother had renovated it to fit me, and I had knit a nice yellow pullover trimmed with blue, and a cap to match, gloves to match, and that's what I wore for my wedding. And I had a pair of brown shoes and stockings. I said, oh, we, didn't know, we had never heard of tights in those days. 
I had a pair of nylon stockings. Now I remember. They sent me from America. Well, we decided we'd both have wedding rings. I suppose that was more my choice than his, really, because I felt if I have to wear a wedding ring, he has to wear one as well. So he had a friend in the jewellery business at the time, whom we're still friends with, and he actually came to the house with the rings. We chose our rings, and we bargained over the price. And, um, in fact, the first ring that Brian had, he, he lost his wedding ring shortly after we returned home from our honeymoon. It was a pity, but that's the way it goes. So we got another one, because I still insisted he wears his wedding ring. Sign of whatever. He's married and that's it. The look of love is in We went off for Galway. That's the type of honeymoon we had. We thought we'd have a day to ourselves. Off we went. And in the car, we had the best man and his wife. They were only a few months married at the time. And uh, we had uh, a little friend. And and we had... Uh, I said the best man and the bridesmaid. And, of course, the bridesmaid. My sister-in-law and... Was the driver Tommy? That was it, wasn't it? And um, the driver wasn't drinking, so that was something. But Tom, for once in his life, he had a chance of a great day. And uh, on the way in, we stopped at um, Joyce's uh, recess, and he had a drink there. And we went on to Galway. And when we got out of the car on the square. We went straight to go straight over to the Imperial, where my friends were meeting friends of theirs, and we were to have, meet them together. And who should I see on duty but a guard whom I knew and who had got married from? Well, he had. I'd known him when, while, while he was courting, I was courting, so we had known each other. And the first thing he says, Congratulations, Mary. No, Mrs. Kane. Congratulations, Mrs. Kane, and I wish you joy. And I, <laughs> the first thing I started to was look around. <laughs> Mrs. Kane, I hadn't realised he was the first, and very few people have ever called me Mrs. Kane since. Anyway, in the Imperial, we met our friends, and then we went for to have dinner. And when we went to have dinner. My husband was full of tricks, and he knew everybody in Galway. and eight cousins working in the GBC whom I didn't know about. And, see, I hadn't been long at home, and I'd mostly been away, so I didn't know all the, I didn't know all the people, you know, I, I don't, don't know them yet. He knew the people around Galway as well as he knew the people around home, because he had been a soldier in the army up there. And um, uh, in the Imperial... No, not the Imperial. We left the Imperial and went out to the GBC for a meal. And when ordering the meal, the waitress came to take us upstairs, and she was a lovely-looking, beautiful, black, raven-haired, rosy-cheeked, beautiful-looking lady. And it must have been that I said something to Tom about, isn't she beautiful? Or something like that, but he said, I'll have her before the day is out. He said, I'll square her for the night. He said... <laughs> When we went up, got to the top of the stairs, there was Tom with his hands around her and he chatting her, chatting her up. 
And uh, I found out afterwards that he really was asking her to uh, tell his uh, cousins who worked there, whom I didn't know about, that he wanted to see them, but he was having me on. We had planned to go to France that evening on the ferry from Rosslare. So we'd get ourselves from Black Rock to Rosslare. I think it was by five o'clock. That was where the trouble started. On the way to Rosslare, we didn't change our clothes. We stayed as we were. We stayed in the, in the clothes we wore. Brian wore a suit and I said I wore this cream dress. And on the way to Rosslare, the smoke started coming out of the radiator. It was the little Triumph Spitfire, which was on its last legs, but we loved it. We didn't want to part with it. And um, as we approached Rosslare, it was literally on fire. The smoke was coming out of everywhere. So we made it to the ferry and they had to tow us on in Rosslare. And as we sailed across the ocean, they had lost the key to the cabin that we had booked for the night. And there was a bit of fuss about that, but eventually we got sorted out. And they telephoned into Le Havre to say that they had a couple on board that were on honeymoon. Could they have a uh, tow truck available to take us to the nearest garage? So that was fine. Uh, we got a great amount of slagging, of course, on board because the car had broken down. We were towed on and towed off at Le Havre. And um, when we got to Le Havre, the tow truck was there. But it cost us, I think, it was twenty pounds to just tow the car from just literally a couple of seconds around the corner to the nearest garage. And they told us that the car would be ready for a couple of days. And we had planned to go on down to Paris. I went down for a walk with Tom. I thought, well, he sobered up a bit better after the dinner and a little walk in the fresh air. And who should we walk into but a cook whom we had known in the army? And, of course, they wanted to go straight away to have a drink together. And, of course, naturally, Tom just getting married. But uh, I said, no, we'll go back first and he'll meet you later, maybe. And they had one drink and he did come back with me. And uh, on the square we had the car and we put him into the car and he fell asleep. Well, you must know that was 1950. You couldn't do it nowadays. We left him sleeping in the car for to sleep it off and we went to the pictures. So when we came back from the pictures, we had arranged to meet after, when the pictures would be over a certain time. So when we came back, Tom was missing. And we were all there, ready to go home, excepting Tom. So we began to look around for him. So while the others, I said, oh, he, he's surely down in Larry's. That used to be a grand little place. And that's where his friends, the army people used to, you know, nearly everybody went. Um, it was a grand place to go. So by the time we came back, they had Tom. He was Marvillor. He had another soldier coming home for holidays for a few days to his wife. And he was Marvillor, so that we... We, started, we got crowded into the care and started for home. On the way home, it was a lovely day, but of course it was so late when we were going home that it had already started to rain, which it does sometimes in July, and it simply poured. Of course, you know yourself now, a person gets into a care, especially a soldier, if he gets into a care and he, he full, he, he needs to get out on the way home. And uh, when he got out, where should the care have pulled up? Not realising that there was a big ditch inside it. Got up, the big drain was there, and he, got, he he fell right into the drain. The soldier would give him the lift home to see his wife. And when he, my bridesmaid, 
jumped out because she was a fine, strong, hard, hard-working girl and she was well used to men too because she had her brother and she had her brothers before. She remembered her two older brothers who were... There was only one of them living there. But she was well used to men because she had to work, do a man's work. So she jumped out and never thinking of the, her being in her best clothes, out and, of course... When she went to pull him up out of the drain, and it was a drain you'd have to be pulled up out of, and if you were too boozed like he was, you wouldn't be able to walk, crawl up. So when she went to pull him up, accidentally he pulled her down. So she was in the drain. And then my Tom got mad, and he got out to get him for getting his sister destroyed and pulled her into the drain. And uh, by then the best man had got out, and he had helped to get the two of them up out of the drain. And then my husband went to give him a black eye for what he had done to his sister. For <laughs> so I had to go between them. And we eventually got back into the car. We were there about two days and we had a hired car, the Avis rent-a-car, so that was smeared across the back window. So it was obvious that we were tourists, I suppose, in a way. It was a giveaway. And one particular evening we drove around, in the evening, looking for somewhere to eat. That was the right price. And we noticed we were being followed on either side of us, there was two cars, or a car on, on each side, and a car behind us. We, d- we noticed after a couple of minutes that they were actually trying to veer us from the main thoroughfare into a side road. And I was laughing with nerves more than anything, and Brian said, if you keep laughing, you'll encourage them. I said, Brian, I'm not laughing because it's funny, I'm laughing because I'm scared. So we actually saw a taxi parked ahead of us, and we stopped, and we asked him to show us to the police. And he seemed to understand, although we had no French. And he said, follow me. We couldn't be going anywhere, but we followed him. And he actually took us to the police station. And meanwhile, we lost the guys who were following us. So we had to report to the police because we were quite scared. And, of course, the policeman thought we'd seen a murder. And he told us the best thing for us to do was to stay where we were, which was outside the police station. So that night we slept in the car because we were scared. It wasn't romantic at all, not from my point of view, certainly. It rained. For the three days we were there, it rained non-stop. We had a row. I think it was the car. There was pressure on us because of our car. It was still in Le Havre, and we had to return to Le Havre to see how the car was doing. And it was wasting time, I thought, driving up and down these enormous motorways that I had never seen before. And, and they were all toll roads, and you had to pay these guys. And... Um, as I said, it rained non-stop. We had planned to go to see the tower, and they were on strike. So there was no tower for us. Uh, I hated the food. The meat seemed to me to be raw. The coffee was too strong, and the cakes were too gooey. And uh, we're, eventually, we sorted out and returned to Le Havre, where we took the train to Spain. The next night, I went to bed with my book. Because I always read a book in bed. And he brought up the transistor, and he turned on the minister's talk. And I said, of course, I said, in those days I wouldn't be allowed to listen to that, and I had to close the book. He wouldn't, he wouldn't stop the talk on the, on the transistor until I closed the book. That's how I learned not to read in bed. And from there on, Tom and I lived happily ever after. It never entered my head that it would last forever. I, I never thought about it as such, but I, in my heart and soul... I didn't think to myself, this is going to last forever. It never actually came to mind. And in the first, in the early years of our marriage, I thought it wouldn't last forever. 
I said, there is no way this is going to last forever, especially after the first two children arrived, because they were very close together. And I felt it'll never last, because I felt the pressure was on me then, because I was still working. And I felt I was doing everything, that I felt I was perhaps carrying all the weight, because I, would, I took my responsibility very seriously when I got married, especially with the rearing of the children. I, I, when I come home from work, it was them. But perhaps when Brian came in, he, he's, he sort of said, what's the fuss about? And he's read the paper. But when you have two children, there's a lot of things to be done. I thought at that stage, I didn't think it would last forever. But that's just a phase, I think. I think everybody goes through that. It settles down, and the children get a bit bigger, and they're able to look after themselves a bit more, perhaps. But I'd, I'd always finish something that I start. And that's how I felt about my, my marriage, now that I've started. I just took it in my stride. As the guy who gave me the lift said, you take it all so cool, as if you were just getting a passport or a piece of paper. I suppose I never really thought about it. I was getting married and it was something I was going to do. But I, I didn't I didn't plan it, it happened. I was very happy it was happening. But it's not something that I set out to do. The year before that, if someone had said to me, you'll be married in a year's time, I'd have said they were crazy. It was something that came as a surprise to me, I think, that I was getting married so soon. I was only 22. I suppose the one thing on that particular morning was I thought the car looked beautiful. My friends had, had done up this particular car because I had wanted to walk to the church because I lived very near the church at the time and I thought it would be fine just to hop across the road into the church. When I saw the car, I thought the car looked really beautiful. It was red and in white ribbons. It seems ridiculous, I suppose, but I, I thought that was lovely. 